I'd like to turn your Bibles this afternoon to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you're using the Adoration Bibles, that can be found on page 194. 194. If you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism in our afternoon worship services, and we've begun to consider from Lord's Day 10 how a right understanding of God's providence is a great help to us. Last time we considered how the doctrine of God's providence helps us to be patient in adversity. When trials and afflictions come our way, the doctrine of God's providence teaches us that a tested faith produces a steadfast faith. Well, this afternoon we come to the second lesson of God's providence where we see that the doctrine of God's providence also teaches us to be thankful in prosperity. So, let's read God's Word from Deuteronomy 8 with that lesson in view. Thankful in prosperity. This is the Word of Moses, but we know the Word of the Lord Himself by the Spirit of Christ. Now, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the land He has given you. But take care, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and if you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly swear to you today 
or warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. There ends the reading of God's Word. May bless it to us this afternoon. Let's turn to the second place again to Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're using the Forms and Prayers books, that's on page 211. And if you're using the Trinity Psalter hymnals, that's on page 876. In the back of the hymnal, 876. And we'll read these two questions and answers responsively. Lord's Day 10, first, question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Question 28. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. This the Church of Christ does confess and believe throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we move this afternoon from one end of the spectrum of God's providence to the other. We move from adversity to prosperity. And depending on where you're at in your life right now, this lesson regarding prosperity might be the more difficult lesson to learn. This lesson concerning prosperity might for you be the more difficult lesson to learn than the lesson of adversity. For although adversity often bewilders us, those of us who are in Christ have learned to quickly take that bewilderment to the Lord right away. And while we may not always understand why exactly God sends this adversity or that adversity our way, personal experience has taught us that our only recourse in the midst of that adversity is to turn to the one who sent it, to turn to the Lord himself. I trust that we've learned that lesson by, by personal experience, that, that nothing else will do. Perhaps some of us have tried turning to other things, in the midst of adversity, perhaps some of you have tried turning to the bottle or to pornography or, or to online shopping to find some escape from the bewilderment and adversity in which you find yourself. But hasn't personal experience taught you that all those things are, are empty wells, broken cisterns, as Jeremiah says, that can hold no water? Time and again we've learned, haven't we, that our only real help in time of trouble is the Lord Himself, as Psalm 46 says. And so while learning to be patient in adversity doesn't come naturally to any of us, the pain of adversity does perhaps more naturally lead us to God for comfort than, 
then the joys of prosperity lead us to God with thanksgiving. Because when things are going well, when our bank accounts and our refrigerators are full, it can be easy for us to forget God. Of course, it's not something that we do intentionally, but it's something that just sort of happens, isn't it? When things are, are going against us, we're, we're quick to go to God in prayer. But when things are going well, well, then we can fall into a state of self-sufficiency, and, and prayer can be the farthest thing from our minds. On Friday night, I was driving back home after seeing some friends in Hamilton, and the roads were horrible. They had gotten a ton of snow in the course of those three hours. And so all the way down Highway 6 to the 403, I was pretty much singing the words of Psalm 121 in my head, that traveler's song. My hands were on 10 and 2, the radio all the way down, praying that God would grant me safe travels. I saw the truck in front of me fishtailing. But by the time Hamilton's snow had turned into Niagara's rain, so that the roads were strikingly clear, my prayer of thanksgiving was hardly as fervent as my prayer for safety. Now, why do you suppose that was? Why was my prayer for safety so much more fervent than my prayer of thanksgiving? Well, when the snow was falling and when the roads were slick, I was keenly aware of my need. When I saw the truck in front of me start to fishtail, I was keenly aware of the fact that, that I was vulnerable, that, that I needed God to keep me safe. But about as soon as I was back on the clear roads of the QEW, I no longer thought I had much to worry about. And I presumed that from that point forward, I'd be fine. And so Spotify went back on, and I was cruising along as I always would. I didn't intend to be so thankless. It just sort of happened. Quite naturally, I became quite self-sufficient. I was no longer aware of the fact that I was every bit as much in God's hands when the roads are clear as my life is in God's hands when the roads are slick. And this congregation is the challenge that we face when, when things are going well. Perhaps some of you came to church this morning and it dawned on you that, that the last time you had set aside time for God was, was last Sunday. You didn't mean to go a week without seeking the Lord for direction and guidance. You didn't mean to go a week without setting aside time to thank the Lord and to bless the Lord. But in the busyness of life, it just sort of happened. You didn't mean to forget, but you did. You forgot to remember. You forgot to remember that we don't live by bread alone, that we depend not on our own strength. You forgot to remember that, that we actually live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the danger of prosperity. This was Moses' concern so long ago as the people of Israel stood there on the border of the, of the promised land, as they were about to enter this new era of, of great prosperity, his concern back then and the concern of Lord's Day 10 today was that physical prosperity would lead to spiritual poverty. That was his concern, that physical prosperity might lead to spiritual poverty. 
And so to keep that from happening, to keep Israel's new physical prosperity from leading to spiritual poverty, the Spirit of Christ sought to teach them how to be thankful. In His grace and mercy, the Spirit not only teaches us how to be patient in adversity, but He also teaches us how to be thankful in prosperity. It's a lesson that every one of us must learn. And we think about all that God has given us, and we think about the cars in our parking lots, the houses that we live in, the cabinets that are full, the clothes on our backs, the shoes on our feet. We need to ask ourselves the question, how can I be thankful? How can I be thankful in the midst of, of such prosperity? Here in Deuteronomy 8, the Spirit shows us that there are three things we can do. There are three things that we need to do to be thankful in prosperity. In the first place, we must remember the providence of God. In the first place, we must rehearse, we must keep a, a detailed record in our minds of all the things the Lord has done for us. How, how it's true that all we have needed, God's hand has provided. That's what we see in verses 1 through 6. In the second place, the Spirit shows us that we must rejoice in the provision of God. When we count our many blessings and we consider all that the Lord has done for us and how God has prospered the work of our hands, the Spirit calls us to rejoice. That's what we see in verses 7 through 10, and especially in verse 10, where Moses says, you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And then in the third place, if we are to be thankful in prosperity, we must not only remember the providence of God and rejoice in the provision of God, but with all that is within us, we must also resist the pride of man. That's what we discover in verses 11 to 20. Knowing well the heart of man, Moses says, take care. Take care lest you forget. Beware, he says. Be on guard. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the, and the might of my hand has gotten me this well. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He. It's the Lord who gives you power to get well. But we note in the first place that if you and I would learn how to be thankful in prosperity, we must learn to remember the providence of God. Providence, we confess, in Lord's Day 10 is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds all things with His hand and so rules them that that nothing comes our way by chance or by happenstance, but that everything comes our way by God's fatherly hand. This is what we need to remember when things are going well. As Moses says in verse 2, you shall remember. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And then Moses, what does Moses begin to do in verses 3 through 5? He begins to to record the acts of God's providence. Moses brings the people of Israel on a, on a mental journey, as it were. He recalls to their memory how, how God humbled them in the wilderness. He reminds them of how God caused them to see their, their need of Him and their dependence upon Him before He gave them manna from heaven. And in that manner, God taught them that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by Every word that comes from the mouth of God for 40 years, God kept their clothing from wearing out. 
They didn't buy new clothes, boys and girls, in those 40 years. God just kept their clothes from wearing out. Isn't that amazing? For 40 years as they walked through the desert, God kept their feet from swelling. And in verse 5, Moses tells us that just as a father disciplines his children in love, so the Lord disciplined them. And there Moses must have brought to their minds all the times that God did just that, all the times that God disciplined them throughout their years of wilderness wandering. And that's not all because the mention of these things, the mention of manna and clothes and discipline is but an extension of what we heard Moses say this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, Moses took Israel on a similar mental journey all the way back to the waters of the Red Sea. He reminded them of that place where God definitively delivered them from the tyranny of Pharaoh. And then he said in verses 20 to 23 of chapter 6, And when your sons ask, what is the meaning of all these testimonies? And you shall say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Moses, in these passages, is teaching God's people to keep a mental record of God's providence. In the midst of our own prosperity, the Spirit of Christ is teaching us to do the same, to, to look back on our lives and to recount all the things that God has done for us. But Moses isn't only telling us to remember the acts of God's providence, but he's also telling us to remember the, the lessons of God's providence. In Israel's case, God's acts of providence were meant to teach them certain lessons. What were those lessons? They were to learn humility. They were to learn dependence upon God. When God gave them manna from heaven, they were to learn a lesson in their minds. I depend on God for food every day. When they were at the waters of the Red Sea, couched between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh, and God parted the waters of the Red Sea, they were to learn humility. We did not save ourselves, but God did it all by His mighty hand. And this is what we need to do when we likewise recount all the things that God has done for us. When we look back on the acts of God's kind providences toward us, we need to ask ourselves, what were the lessons that I was supposed to learn? When you look back on the adversities that came from God's providence, you have to ask yourself, what lessons was God teaching me? And you need to remember them and be careful lest you forget them. In this helpful book, The Mystery of God's Providence, the Puritan pastor John Flavel speaks to the numerous advantages of meditating on God's past actions of providential care. I'll just note five of them for our benefit in the first place. Flavel says that meditating on God's providence is among the best ways to maintain sweet and conscious communion with God day by day. Wasn't this the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 73? There the psalmist begins by saying, surely the Lord has been good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The psalmist meditates on God's goodness to his people. And then he concludes by saying, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none earth I desire besides you. My heart and, and my flesh may fail, but God is the portion of my heart. 
and my strength forever. In the second place, Flavel says that meditating on God's providence leads to a great pleasure and delight in the Christian life. Meditating on God's providential acts of kindness is what led the psalmist to say in Psalm 92, verse 4, You, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. In the third place, Flavel says that meditating on God's providence is one of the most effectual means to overpower and to suppress the atheism or the unbelief that so naturally lives in our hearts. Flavel writes, if Christians, in reading the Scriptures, would judiciously collect and record the providences they meet therein, and if Christians would add to them all the providences from their own lives, oh, what precious treasures these would make. What an antidote it would be to their soul against spreading atheism of these days, and how recording God's providence would satisfy them beyond what many other arguments can do. Meditating on God's providence is one of the most effectual ways of suppressing the unbelief that so often can creep into your hearts. That you remember what God has done, you assure yourself, you preach to yourself, there's just no way that God's Word isn't true. God has been with me all these years, leading me and guiding me. Fourthly, Flavel says that meditating on God's providence does us great dividends for the future. For God's providence teaches us to reason with ourselves that if God was faithful back then, then God will surely be faithful tomorrow. As James 1.17 says, our God is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, which is why we sing, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And fifthly, Flavel says that meditating on God's providence has a marvelous efficacy to melt the heart and to make it thaw in submission to the Lord. For how can a sanctified heart, writes Flavel, do anything less than melt into tears when it considers the dealings of God and when it compares the mercies of God with the sins of man? Indeed, says Flavel, the due observations of the ways of God and His providence toward us have an excellent usefulness and aptitude to advance and improve holiness in our hearts and lives. And isn't this the very thing that Moses is driving home here in these first six verses? The, the recordings of God's providence in verses uh, 3 through 5 are sandwiched between the commands of verses 2 and 6. The commands to remember the whole way that God led them. The, the command to, to keep His commandments by walking in His ways and fearing Him. Remembering God's providence is meant to lead to holiness, to keeping God's commands, to remembering God and fearing Him. And so, as the people of Israel stand at the border of the promised land and at the cusp of, of greater prosperity than they have ever before known, Moses says, you need to remember. You need to remember God's providence. You need to remember all that God did for you in the past, in the midst of all the adversities. You need to remember what God did for you, so that you might properly rejoice 
when the Lord brings you into this new season of great prosperity. And this is the point that Moses is driving home in verses 7 to 10. In verses 7 through 9, Moses speaks of the bountiful provision and prosperity that God is going to give into their hands. The Lord, we read, is bringing them into a good land. And we see in these verses that, that everything that the wilderness was, the promised land wasn't. In this promised land, there was great prosperity above the ground. Moses lists seven different kinds of, of crops. There was great prosperity below the ground. The stones contained iron and the hills contained copper. What a sharp contrast from their experience in the wilderness that whereas in the wilderness they had nothing, in the promised land they're going to have everything. They're going to eat and they're going to be full. But in light of this great provision and prosperity, the application punchline comes at the end of verse 10. And you shall bless the Lord your God. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. You see, one of the best antidotes to forgetting God's providence in the past is to rejoice in God's providence and provision in the present. That's what Moses is, is getting at in these verses. One of the best ways to keep ourselves from, from forgetting the lessons that they learned back in the wilderness is to bless the Lord now they're in the promised land. That's the best way not to forget those lessons about humility, those lessons about dependence upon God. Rejoice in your prosperity. Look to what God has given into your hands and rejoice. As we'll see in just a few moments, this is also the most powerful driving force to resisting the pride of man. We can resist the pride of man by remembering and rejoicing. The antidote to pride we see in verse 10 is praise, praising God. Praising God will prevent pride from creeping into our hearts. To lean on John Flavel again, Flavel notes that there are a number of things belonging to the praise of God in relation to the providence of God. I'll note just three of them. The first thing he says that belongs to the praise of God in relation to the providence of God is a careful observation of the mercies that we have received from God. Flavel draws from the example of Isaiah 41, verses 17 to 20, where the prophet observes God's mercies by, by noting that when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, it is the Lord who answers them. It is the God of Israel who does not forsake them, Isaiah says. Isaiah says God is the one who opens rivers and fountains. He's the one who provides food in the wilderness for his people. And he does so with this reason, Isaiah 41 verse 20, that they may see and know and consider and understand together all that the hand of the Lord has done for them. If we want to praise God, we need to observe all the mercies of God. We need to consider them, understand them. Meditate upon them. The second thing, belonging to the praise of God, suggests label is a due appreciation for every providence that does us good. It was because the people of Israel did not appreciate God's providence that they grumbled against God in Numbers 11, saying, why can't we just go back to Egypt? They did not appreciate what God had done for them. 
They did not appreciate God's deliverance. They said, we're sick of all this manna. Let's just go back to Egypt. They didn't value God's providence. They didn't appreciate it. And so they didn't praise. The third thing belonging to the praise of God in relation to the providence of God, says Flavel, is then a suitable recompense for the mercies received. To rightly praise God in light of His kind providences, we must echo those words of Psalm 116. What shall I render to Jehovah now? For all His mercies He has given to me. In summary, writes Flavel, as the freeness of mercies dispensed by providence engages praise, so the multitudes of mercies heaped this way upon us strongly oblige the soul to thankfulness. When you eat in our full, says Moses, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. If we would learn to be thankful in prosperity, we must learn to remember the providence of God. We must learn to rejoice in the bountiful provision of God. Notice in the last place this afternoon that remembering God and rejoicing in God must fuel a resistance to the pride of man. This was really at the very heart of Moses' overall concern for Israel so long ago. This is why we have this last paragraph in the chapter with all these admonitions and warnings to take care. Because the Lord knows what so naturally lives in our hearts. The Lord knows just how proud we can be. It's a problem that's plagued us ever since Adam's fall in the garden. When Adam obeyed the word of the devil rather than the word of God, it was because of pride. In pride, Adam thought, I don't want to rely on God. I want to be God myself. Moses knows that this is going to be Israel's problem too. The Spirit knows this is our problem. This is our natural propensity as well. And so what does Moses say? He says, take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and rules and statutes. Take care, he says, lest you come into the prosperity of the promised land and your hearts be lifted up or, or puffed up and you, and you forget that, that it was the Lord who had been your strength and your help and your provider all along. Moses knows that physical prosperity can easily lead to spiritual poverty. The Lord Jesus, of course, knew this too. That's why he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because it's easy for a rich man to become self-reliant and self-sufficient. It's easy for the rich man to find his security and the money he has in the bank and the investments he has in the stock market. And so it's easy for the rich man to forget that he too needs God as much as anybody else. That he too must live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what does Moses say in verse 17? Beware. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant 
that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And Moses concludes with this sharp warning, doesn't he? He says, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. If we would learn to be thankful in prosperity as the doctrine of providence teaches us to be, then we must resist the pride of man. We must resist looking at the lives we've built up for ourselves only to say, look at all that I've accomplished. My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. We have to resist that. We have to beware the pride of self-sufficiency because it's not just wealth, of course, that can fuel our pride. Our own gifts can fuel our pride. Our gifts and our talents can also puff us up so that we lean upon our own strength rather than on, than on God's strength. A preacher, for example, can, can look and see the number of downloads, this sermon or that sermon, God, and, and he can think, well, I'll get that. I'm doing pretty good. And so even a preacher can forget the strength and blessing of his ministry depends not on his giftedness but on God's faithfulness. For even the best of our gifts and talents aren't natural to ourselves. They've come from the hand of our Father in heaven. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? If you have great intellect or great strength or great gifts on the basketball court, you didn't get those things by yourself. You received them. What do you have you did not receive? The answer, of course, is nothing. We have nothing that we didn't receive. As Lord's Day 21 reminds us, we have communion with Christ, and we share in all of His treasures and gifts. And because these treasures and gifts are ultimately His, what does Lord's Day 21 say? We're to use them readily and cheerfully, not for ourselves, not to, to puff ourselves up, but because these gifts and talents belong to Him anyways, we're to use them for the blessing of the other members. In so many areas of our lives, whether it's in our work life or our school life or our home life, we can be so tempted to say, look at everything we've done, rather than Behold what God has done. But this congregation is what the doctrine of God's providence teaches us to say. The doctrine of God's providence teaches us to say in the midst of our prosperity, blessed be the name of the Lord. The doctrine of providence teaches us to give all the credit and all the, the glory to Him. As I said before, being thankful in prosperity doesn't come naturally to any one of us. We're all inclined by nature to rely upon ourselves and to rely on our own strength. Our natural tendency is to become puffed up and proud. And so, perhaps we're wondering, well, how can I know if I've learned the lesson of this Lord's Day? How can I know if I'm thankful in the midst of all this prosperity? Well, here's a test you can take in your mind. Pretend that you you wake up tomorrow morning and you find that the stock market has crashed and your investments are now worth nothing. 
Pretend that you go into work tomorrow to find out you're being laid off. And, and the best job you can find now is only half the salary. Pretend you have to sell your house and downgrade your car. Pretend your business goes belly up. How would you respond to that? Would you respond in bitterness and anger against God? Or would you say in humility, this too, Father, has come from your hand, and I know that you'll provide whatever I need for body and soul, as the Lord's Day 9 teaches us. How you answer that question will be a pretty good gauge as to how thankful you really are, because if you're truly thankful then you're cognizant of the fact that everything you have has come from God anyways. And if you're truly thankful, then you know that you don't need any of those things as long as you have Him. But if you would be bitter at God, if you would think that you would lose your sense of self-worth and self-identity, then, well, then there's likely more pride living in your heart than you'd care to admit. And so in His grace and mercy, the Lord warns you today, and He says that the way of pride, the way of self-sufficiency and self-worth leads to death. If you go on living that way, says Moses, you shall surely perish. When Moses says that, you shall surely perish, there's two aspects to that perishing. In the ultimate sense, there's that future diminish, that eternal perishing if you die in your pride and self-sufficiency. But the warning stands even for us believers that part of all these threats and warnings in Deuteronomy has to do not so much with hell but with, with exile, that, that hard discipline coming. As Moses is saying, if you won't humble yourselves, God will. Living in the way of pride and self-sufficiency and self-worth lives to death. That's no way to live, Moses is saying. Because it's unstable. That's shaky ground to be standing on, your own strength. And God wants you to stand in His strength. And so God, in His grace, even for the believer, will do whatever it takes to make the believer say and believe what He says on Sunday. My help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yes, it's very true that physical prosperity can lead to spiritual poverty, but that doesn't need to be the case. Physical prosperity doesn't need to lead to spiritual poverty, for God has taught us a better way. God has taught us the way of thankfulness. I can be patient when things go against me, and I can be thankful when things are going for me. Because by God's providence, God upholds the world and He rules all things in such a way that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful years and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to me, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. This is the believer's confession. I can be thankful in prosperity because I know who my God is. He's the God of providence. 
he who testifies to all these things says, surely I am coming soon. And so may God grant us the grace to be thankful, to be truly thankful until that great and awesome day comes. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have given us so much. You have given us much prosperity. You have given us much physical security. And our temptation, O Lord, is to put all our hope, to put all our stock in those things, these physical things. Our temptation is to define ourselves by these things. Our temptation, Lord, is to rely upon ourselves. Pride so easily fills our hearts. And so, Father, in the midst of all our prosperity, we pray that you would teach us to be thankful. Help us to remember your providence. Help us to remember the acts of your providence. For in so doing, we might solidify in our minds the lessons of your providence. And we think about your providence at the cross. May we be humbled and mindful of the fact that we did not save ourselves, but you saved us. When we think about the food on our tables, we remember the way in which you sent manna from heaven for the people of Israel. So we got to remember that it's you who gives us our daily bread. And may we never say, O oh Lord, that our power and the strength of our hands has gotten us that we have. May we learn to say with the Apostle Paul that we have nothing that we did not receive. So teach us, Lord, to remember your providence. Teach us to rest and to rejoice in your provision. And help us to resist our pride. These things we ask, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.